Uh, I want to make uh, just a few upfront announcements um, as I have every week in this series so far because they're important. And uh, the first is that I believe in a clinical disease called depression. And, and I know that some in the church don't. And I haven't said this yet, but I actually uh, had a friend in college who, whose family uh, worked at a church, was a big part of a major church and uh, a pretty famous church. And, and that pastor and that ministry don't believe in, in clinical depression. And this kid's mom was depressed. And, and they basically were just told she needs to fix her relationship with Jesus. And so fix it. And over time, she's like, well, nothing's wrong with my relationship with Jesus. And it became such a problem that they eventually uh, left the church and, and left it uh, with a lot of pain in their hearts because I think they liked the church. And so I, I know that's actually hurt people. And that's one of the reasons I've, I've felt the need to say I do believe in clinical depression. And, uh, and this series is not at all to diminish that or pretend that that doesn't exist. Uh, along with that, I want to say that this is not a, a substitute series for medication or for counseling, and, and I think some people do need medication, and some people do need counseling, and I think those things are important and good and helpful, and uh, I'm all for things that help a person live more fully for Jesus, uh, more fully uh, have joy in Jesus and, and celebrate Jesus and live for Jesus and do what Jesus wants them to do. And the last thing is uh, that's important for me to say is I'm not a licensed psychologist or counselor. Uh, but, uh, as I've said every week, I am a pastor, and I do believe that the Word of God speaks into our lives uh, about things that are real and things that are, that are uh, in front of us on a daily basis. I think that the Word of God, the Bible, is practical for our lives, and I think it is practical uh, in our lives when we are depressed. And finally, I want to say that I will use, once again, the word depression and depressed in the broadest sense of the term, and that is feelings of dejection or despondence. It's I'm not just talking about in this series some type of clinical uh, disease just where a person has a chemical imbalance in their brain and, and they can't be right because of that. I, I'm talking about that and uh, just depression in general where we are sad, hurt, confused, angry, all those feelings that go into the moments in life where, where life is, is just terrible. And, uh, and sometimes it is terrible, we know that. I, I was thinking uh, about this, this night I had once uh, at Corbin University where I went to school. And uh, Corbin is a creepy place, a very creepy place. And uh, it's really creepy in large part because it used to be a TB hospital. And so as you're roaming the halls of the, of the library there at Corbin, it's like they didn't really change the layout of it. And so you're like, well, this is a closet for medicine, and this is where a guy died. And then this is a closet for medicine, and this is where people died. And you just kind of go down the hallway kind of like, well, this is obviously a hospital. And so, uh, in fact, I had a, a class that I barely attended because of baseball and because I volunteered every week to uh, check the the creeks levels, uh, pH balance and things like that. And so I was there probably a third uh, of the time. But uh, in that class, we talked about the creek that's out at, at Corbin. And, and the creek is uh, called Waste Creek. And it's called Waste Creek because it was where they threw all the gross stuff and they just let it float down into the Willamette River, which we drink here in Wilsonville and uh, down in Salem, but not in Kaiser where I grew up where we have good water. And so it's a creepy place, and, and there's these tunnels underneath, and so we knew one of the security guards, and, and the security guard said, hey, you guys come out tonight, and I'll, I'll take you on like the ghost 
tour of Corbin University, and there's creepy stories, and uh, and so we we got underneath the the structure of the building, and there's like stuff down there, which is super creepy, and you're like, why in the midst of this foundation is there stuff? And then and then they he took us into uh, this this uh, tunnel, which used to be the food tunnel, so they could run food to the patients and uh, and things like that. And it looks like an insane asylum uh, hallway in, in a movie. Every movie you've seen with any type of insane situation, that was the hallway. And it's big and it's expansive. And you're like, this is under me all the time. And so then we're wandering around and there's these doors that nobody's ever talked about. I've never really paid attention to them, but they are in the middle of the parking lot. And we're like, what's in the doors, you know? And so the security guard, I'd like to point that out, gets out his pocket knife and we cut the, the ties that were holding them together. And we opened these doors and we were already super creeped out because of everything we'd seen and it's night and it's scary. And we opened these doors and it is the biggest, darkest, scariest tunnel that you could ever possibly imagine. I mean, it was like wider than this stage it was it was like huge it was half of this gym right here and you but you could hardly see anything and you knew if you went that way then then it was going to get darker and darker and darker and, and it's interesting by the way they've now taken these doors magically out of the parking lot of Corbin I'm not sure if we had anything to do with that or not but somehow these doors have disappeared which makes it a little creepier but there was no way no way that we were walking into that tunnel, and, and the primary reason that there was no way we were walking into that tunnel is that there was one guy with a flashlight, and we didn't trust him at all. And, and so we're like, no way we're going in there so that you can run away and, and leave us in the dust to die uh, at the hands of all the ghosts that exist. And, and here's the thing, uh, this is the big transit, uh, transition statement, is, is that our depression is oftentimes like that tunnel. It, it, it is so big to us, and so dark to us that, that when we enter into it, we think, we feel like we'll never see light again. And that was the fear for us as we stood in front of those doors. I'll never find my way out. I'll be lost in the darkness forever. And uh, we've said this statement in this series a couple of times, don't doubt in the dark what you've seen in the light. But sometimes our depression is, is so expansive, it's so big that that it's like we feel like we'll never see light again. We'll never have joy. We'll never hear from God again. We'll just be stuck forever. Now, there's this statement that we make, this phrase that we use um, that I think is really important when dealing with depression. And uh, we, we use it kind of flippantly. It's one of those kind of idioms that we have in English that we don't ever think about why we say it. But uh, it's this, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And, and I think that one of the greatest helps, one of the greatest assurances that, that the Bible can give us is, is simply a reminder that there is in fact light at the end of the tunnel. And I think what we'll see today is that even, even if it's dim and even if it seems like it's not there, there's actually light in the midst of the tunnel of depression. There's a movie that's uh, a cartoon called Inside Out. It was up for a, a couple of Oscars. I'm not sure. It's a Disney movie. I, I, is it a Disney movie? I think it's a Disney movie. It's a, it's a Pixar movie, uh, and they're connected now. Uh, it's a Pixar movie, and, and, and the movie's kind of premise 
uh, is that you're kind of seeing this life story of this little girl and what's going on with her. But, but kind of at the same time, aligning with that, is you're following the story of these different characters who represent her different emotions inside of her. And so you're watching what's going on in the real world, and you're also watching these different characters, two of, uh, two of which are sadness and joy. Those are the characters in the movies. And, and there's this great interaction that they have that I think kind of describes how we often feel when we're depressed. Sadness says, you'll get lost in there. And then Joy, calling back over her shoulder, says, come on, think positive. And then Sadness says, okay, I'm positive that you'll get lost in there. It's a good line, right? And that's what depression does to us. It becomes like this kind of overarching part of our lives that, that, that's like the only positive thing I can think is just that I'm positive I'll never get out of this. Uh, and Sadness also says this in the movie. There's a couple of great one-liners. Uh, she says, remember the funny movie where the dog died? I, that had nothing to do with my sermon, but I just thought that was great, right? Like the only thing, because that's what depression does. Like the only we can't think of anything good. I mean, we think of a funny movie and we think of the sad part or we think about the memories in life and, and they become only connected to the negative parts of those memories. And, and depression is this dark tunnel that, that when we're in the midst of it, it's like, I just can't find any light. I can't find a flicker. I can't find a glimmer because I am so encompassed by the darkness that it brings. And the assurance, the assurance of today it is that comfort is available to us even, 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 even in the darkest moments of our depression. And this comfort comes through the book of, of 2 Corinthians where Paul is writing and, and we'll look at verses 7, uh, 5 through, through 7 and, and I'll begin in 5, 4. When we came into Macedonia, we had no rest but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. Now, Paul begins just by pointing something out that I think we already kind of intuitively understand, and that is depression uh, comes from externals and internals, right? I mean, depression usually is not just like, uh, well, I kind of am a, ne I'm a negative person anyway, and, and, or, and it's not always driven by things outside of us. I mean, there are things on the outside of us usually that happen, and then on the inside, these things kind of stir up inside of us. Paul says that, that it's the fears within him that are, are, are kind of driving his depressed state, and we'll see that he was in a depressed state a little later. And, and so I, I just want to point out that, that Paul, in the midst of kind of his depressed state when he writes the book of 2 Corinthians, is dealing with what you deal with. And that is that there are these external circumstances that are making his life sad, difficult, confusing, hard, and it is doing something inside of him that, that is difficult. It's, it's scaring him. It's making him fearful. We, we deal with things like on the outside, death and breakups and mean people and money problems and presidential elections. And then on the inside, these things kind of connect with like, uh, our, our ideas that we're not good enough or we're not pretty enough or it won't be okay or what if or I shouldn't have and we have all these feelings that, that get stirred up by the externals and, and I think when you, you just pound them together, the internals and the externals, it oftentimes leaves you with, with what we call depression, depressed, we're depressed because look what's going on and look how I feel. It's not usually just look how I feel but life is perfect 
And it's not usually, well, life is terrible, but I feel fine. It's the two kind of coming together. And then Paul in the next verse says this, this very important thing that I think we question sometimes, but we need to pay attention to it and believe it. And this is what Paul says. But God, who comforts the downcast. Just stop there. God, who comforts the downcast. You see how profound this statement is? We think when we're depressed, God is not comforting me. God has left me. God has abandoned me. God doesn't care about me. Some people here maybe don't even believe in God or love God or follow God because they go, look, I'm depressed and God hasn't done anything to help me. And Paul declares just in a simple but emphatic way, hey, I want you to know that God is a God, in fact, who comforts. And he even comforts the downcast. A word that can be defined as low, not high, humble, poor, lowly, modest, or depressed. You see, there is a God in heaven that loves us, cares about us, interacts with us, we believe, and also brings us comfort even in the midst of our depression. Even when we are stuck in a tunnel so big and so dark that we don't think we'll ever get out of it, God is saying, look, 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 I am providing a source of light. Maybe you just need to look for it. I want to also point this out because sometimes we have this so backwards in our heads. Oftentimes when we're depressed, we think, well, God won't care about me because look at who I am. Look at how I feel. If only I felt happier or if only I could just have the joy of Jesus, if only I was more like those people, then maybe God would do something for me. But Paul says that God is a God who comforts, but specifically God is a God who comforts the downcast. And so if you feel like you're not good enough to have God help you, then you are the perfect person for God to bring comfort to. You see, I think the problem is is for those people who just feel like they never need the comfort of God. Those are the people that often are going to miss the comfort of God. But when you are downcast, when you are depressed, when you feel like you have nothing to offer God, when you feel not good enough, not pretty enough, when you have regrets and and, and things that depress you inside and outside, that, that is the perfect time for God to be the God who comforts. In 2 Corinthians 1.8, Paul describes this depression that he's feeling. He describes the type of depression that he knows God will comfort him in. This is what he says. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. He follows this up, and in the next sentence, he says, he felt, they felt like they had received the death sentence. Like they had received the death sentence. I just finished the show, Making a Murder. A lot of you have watched it, I know, and, uh, and, and I think one of the reasons it resonates with so many of us, it's a documentary about a guy that, uh, that is convicted of a murder, even though he... Uh, I I don't think there's any other way to say this. He should not have been convicted of a murder. And and one of the reasons I think it resonates is because this guy's sadness comes out. Like, look, I will spend my entire life in this prison cell, and I will spend my entire life here uh, even though I didn't do anything. And you can imagine how sad you would be 
if you were taken away from your friends and from your family and from your fiance and and you were stuck into a cell forever. And, and Paul describes his despair as one in which he despaired of life itself. He wanted to die. We talked about this last week. Paul was so depressed that he wished that God would just take him into heaven, that his life would be over. And Paul is depressed in a way that feels like he will never, ever, ever get out of the things that he is facing, the death sentence. Paul is depressed. And he says, God, comfort me. This word comfort is interesting. It means to call to one side, to call to aid every kind of calling to which is meant to produce a particular effect, whether of admonishing, exhorting, cheering, helping, etc., It's simply a compound word, two words put together that mean to call towards. And so when Paul says that God is comforting, what Paul is saying is that God is calling you to his side so that he can help you in whatever way you need help. If you just need some kind words, if you just need somebody to say, do it this way, if you need direction, whatever it is, God is coming by your side so that you can have the comfort that you need. In 2 Corinthians 1.3, Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and, notice this, the God of all comfort. I mean, think about that. Think about the language in which you use when you talk about God. You might say like, well, God makes me do things or God saved me or God makes me go to heaven or God is mean. I don't know how you talk about God or God is somebody who doesn't care about me, but he wants me to do certain things and follow certain rules. But Paul, in his language, describes God as the God of all comforts, the God of compassion. The Holy Spirit, in fact, this is so interesting to me. The Holy Spirit, we believe that God is in in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they are one being that are in three persons. Very confusing, but but something that we believe because the Bible declares it. And, And the Holy Spirit, by Jesus, is actually referred to as the comforter. You know, sometimes we only, I think, if you've been a Christian a long time, you only think of the Holy Spirit as the convictor. Right? Like, what's the Holy Spirit's job in your life? To make me feel guilty when I do something bad? We think that. We feel that. But Paul is reminding us, and Jesus declared that the Holy Spirit, part of his job, is to bring us comfort in the midst of our depression. When we feel terrible because of things that are happening on the outside and things that are happening inside of us, God's Spirit is moving in us to bring us comfort. 2 Corinthians 1, 4, and 5, Paul, Paul continues, says, this God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. God comforts through the promise of his comfort. Isn't that important? Isn't it so incredibly important to remember that God is comforting you. Isn't that part of the comfort itself? I mean, we go, I will never be comforted. I will never find light again. There is no light at the end of this tunnel. And God is saying, hey, I want you to know, I want you to know that I am a God of comfort and that I will bring you comfort. And just that, just that, I think, could be an entire sermon. It could be an entire life-changing idea 
that, that if we just simply remember that God is a God of comfort and God will comfort us, then we have a source of comfort. The problem in our depression is that we think we can never be comforted and that we never will be comforted. And we oftentimes isolate ourselves and tell ourselves we'll never be comforted and nobody cares about me and nobody will ever be able to help me and I'll be all alone forever. And God says, hey, time out. I want you to know this. I'm God and I comfort and I comfort you even in the midst of your depression. You know, this has been true for me. Just, It's been an important idea my whole life. I think it's one of the reasons, honestly, I said I'm not wired for depression really at the beginning of this series, and that's true. But I think one of the reasons that I, I don't fall into depression very deeply when I start to get depressed is that I've always had this, this for a long time I should say, had this just belief that God will comfort me despite whatever's going on inside and outside of me. And, and just that thought has always brought me a level of comfort. I read this verse a lot because they're, uh, this passage a lot, this section of scripture a lot, because they're two of my favorite verses. Psalms 94, 18 and 19. When I feel my foot slipping, your faithfulness, O Lord, supports me. And when I am filled with cares, your reassurance soothes my soul forever. Those verses don't tell me much about what God will do for me when I'm depressed. They simply tell me that God will do something for me when I'm depressed. And I've clung to those in my hardest moments of life going, God, I'm stuck in a very dark place and I don't know what you're gonna do and I don't know how you're gonna do it and I don't feel like you care or you're gonna do anything for me. But I believe, I believe that you will do something because you have promised to do something. We said last week that, that we should believe divine doctrine over the deception of depression. And, and I think that when depression comes, that, that Satan, I believe this, that Satan, he just gets into your ear and he tells you over and over and over again, look, you're stuck here forever. There's no light at the end of this tunnel. God doesn't care about you. God won't do anything for you. Look what God has done to you. There's no way out. And it pushes us further and further into depression. And here, Paul reminds us that God is a God of comfort. And God declares emphatically and clearly, hey, by the way, even if you can't feel it, even if you can't see it, believe that I will do something for you. I will come alongside you to help you get through this. Man, God comforts us. Notice this. I just noticed that language of 2 Corinthians 1, 4, and 5. In all our trouble. You go, well, it comforted you, Chad, and the things that you've dealt with, but if you knew what I deal with, if you knew what's going on inside of me and outside of me, if you knew these things, that you would go, God won't comfort you in that. But, but, but Paul says, hey, in all of our troubles, even depression, Paul dealt with some terrible, terrible stuff. I mean, Paul was beaten and flogged and rejected and people stoned him and left him for dead and people rejected him and and the people that he had grown up learning with totally turned their backs on him and wanted him dead and he had death threats all the time and and people abandoned him in the middle of his ministry even people who loved him and were part of his ministry and they just went away because they got too scared and they left Paul to fend for himself and and in the midst of all this he's like hey God comforts in all of our troubles Paul also says that, that God comforts so that we can comfort. We'll return to that in a second. And then he shows us this way. This, this is the first way that God comforts us, and that's through Christ. 
Paul says that their comfort abounded in Christ. And here's what I believe. Sometimes we ignore Jesus for the practical things of life. Don't we? I mean, sometimes Jesus is relegated to this guy who did live and did do some nice things for us if you're a Christian and then will do some great things for us when we die or he returns. But in the middle, if you're being honest with yourself, in the middle, we're like, Jesus, you know, he had some nice teachings, but, but, but his life doesn't really do much for me on a day-to-day basis. And maybe when I come to church and I hear a nice sermon, then yeah, there's some connection, but, but really Jesus doesn't have that much to do with me. But what Paul shows us and reminds us is that Jesus is perhaps the greatest answer to the depression that we have in our lives. His life, death, and resurrection are perhaps the most beautiful assurances that we can have. Why? Because I think it's the anecdote to everything that truly leaves us stuck in the darkness of depression. I mean, Jesus was described as the light of the world, and I think when we're depressed, when we turn our eyes to Jesus, the light, we find some level of comfort always. Because we, go, we, we think things like this, right? We think things like, I'm unimportant when we're depressed. I'm unimportant. And Jesus' life, he lived because you were so important. I mean, Jesus came to this earth and lived because he loved you and cared about you so much. And then he died on a cross because he thought you were so valuable and so important. And so when you're depressed, when you're stuck in it, and you're going, I I just must not be worth anything to anybody. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. Jesus, he's the light of the world because he lights up that false statement that you have in your brain that you don't matter because you matter to him and he proved it with his life. We think things like, this will never get better. And Jesus came so that ultimately it will get better. And you have these guys in the Bible, we talked about this last week, who wanted to die because they believed that on this earth it would never get better, but they continued to serve God. Why? Because they believed that someday, even if it was after they died, it would get better and it would be perfect and they would spend eternity in glory. You see, Jesus lights up the darkest parts of our depression because he answers all of the, the, the false things that we sometimes feel when we are depressed. I'm not good enough. I'm not important. Nobody cares. Uh, this will never get better. I'm stuck in this position forever. Nobody loves me. I'm not good enough. All these things, Jesus says, hey, 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 I lived and I died and I rose again because those things aren't Jesus, Jesus brings comfort in the midst of our depression. Now there's this other thing that I think is important. This word uh, comfort has a, a variety of different ways that, that it can be translated as I read. And, uh, and I think that, that that's cool. Uh, it can be confusing with certain words in the Bible, but I think that's cool because uh, in this instance, when we look at that Greek word and we see its broad meanings and the way it gets translated throughout the Bible, it's as if God is saying, look, I need you to know that there are different ways that you need comfort and I'm willing to provide whatever you need. But one of the, one of the most common ways that that word is translated um, is actually as exhort. Uh, it, it's a word that is, is calling people to return to the truth of God. 
And I think that one of the ways God brings us comfort is through his word. I'd say it this way, God comforts through the Bible. Last week, as I already mentioned, we said believe divine doctrine over the deception of depression. And I think that's super important in the midst of depression. Listen to Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Here's what I think. I think there are a lot of you who are depressed and a lot of you who have been depressed who think God is not doing anything for me. God is not bringing me any comfort. God has left me. He's not giving me any direction out of this. And you haven't opened the Bible one time. I think there are a lot of you, because of what depression does to our brains and our hearts and, and how it messes with us and we, we get stuck in, in these dark tunnels and, and what we do is we sit there and go, well, there must not be any light anywhere, but we, we don't look. And God declares, he says to us, my word is your light. My word is your lamp. And I think you will be stuck in depression a lot longer if you don't open up the Bible and find the wonderful assurances, the comforts, the beautiful passages that speak wonderful truth into our lives. A lot of us, I think, get depressed. And when we get depressed, we shut our Bibles, maybe more than we shut them in the first place. And we go, well, God, I'm mad at you. I, I'm frustrated with you. If you would just do something for me, if you would just say something to me, then I'd return to you. And God is saying, I left this book for you for moments like this. So open it and find out what I'm already saying to you for your comfort and your benefit. You see, we reject the light sometimes that is there in the midst of the darkness. And we say, well, I want a different light. I want something supernatural. I want something that, that's cooler or, or easier to see. And God's saying, there's light. And it may seem far away, but walk towards it, not away from it. Don't reject it. And it's the light of my word. You see, for some of you, I think you're stuck in your depression. You feel like God's not doing anything for you or not saying anything to you or not bringing you any comfort because you have, you have shut the Bible. You've closed the app uh, and, and stopped listening to what he has already said to you and about you. Verse 6 says, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Here's this other way that God comforts, and that's through people. He already said you have been comforted to comfort, right? We saw that. You've been comforted to comfort. And now, if you're in the midst of depression and you're struggling and you're hurting and you're broken, it's good news. Somebody else has been comforted so that they can comfort you. People are a big part of it. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, it says, Therefore, encourage one another, same word, comfort one another, and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. I would ask this question, who are you comforting, first of all? And who are you close enough into your, in your life that you can be comforted by them because they know what's going on? Let's just read verse 7 and we'll return to that. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Comfort trickles down. This church in Corinth comforts Titus. Titus shows up to Paul and his companions who are depressed, and Titus is able to bring comfort to them. And here's the thing. We don't like this because we're Americans. We don't like the idea that we need other people ever. 
But one of God's great divine plans for bringing you comfort is other Christians and the comfort they can offer you because at some point in their lives they've been comforted in some way by God. And here's the problem with this. This is why it's difficult for us. This type of comfort that comes from other people requires deeper unity and love and connection to others. And we don't want to dive into those type of relationships. Some of you perhaps are stuck in your depression because you won't allow for yourself to be in Christian godly relationships, deep enough relationships that allow for you to be comforted when you are depressed. And I would offer, there are some people who probably sit in front of me today that are depressed because some of you could offer them comfort, but you're unwilling to dive deep enough into relationship with the people that you go to church with, other Christians. And so you're not providing the comfort that God has offered to them because the comfort resides in you. See, people knowing that you're depressed is important to them being able to comfort you. But most of us will live our lives without a single other person or maybe just our spouse knowing the depression that we are facing. But they weren't like that in the first century. They weren't like that. I mean, Paul is right. Think about this. Paul is writing a letter to a church and saying, here's my situation. I'm so depressed. I wish I was dead. And because of that, they are able to provide comfort to him. 2 Corinthians 1.11. And by the way, go read chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians if you're depressed. I've taken it bits and pieces here, but go read it. It's incredible to see what Paul says. Uh, but 2 Corinthians 1.11 says, As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf by the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Part of the way God comforts is through the prayer of others. And again, if you are not in deep, loving, connected, important relationships, then you will never receive that comfort. The truth is, let me just be clear here, that depression, as we saw last week in the story of Elijah, makes us want to isolate ourselves from others. And, and if we really want to be comforted, then we should have the opposite mentality. When we are depressed, we should dive deeper into relationships with others because they might be the people who are bringing the comfort that God has offered to us. You see, what this, what this passage says, it's important, is that even in the midst of our deepest depression, we can have joy. And that doesn't make a lot of sense, I know, but Paul says, my joy was greater than ever. And what Paul is showing us is that we can have joy despite depression. And I see this in my life, and, and maybe it's the way I'm wired again. Maybe it's that I've learned to turn towards the Bible. Maybe it's that I have people in my life and have allowed myself to be in relationships where I could say, I'm horribly depressed right now. What can you do for me? Uh, but I have found this to be true in my darkest, darkest moments. There is still a level of joy. And I've witnessed this in other people who face horrible tragedies and who are sad. I am not saying they're not sad. They are horribly sad, but in the midst of all of it, there's joy, and we think these things are on polar opposite ends. I'm either depressed or I'm joyful. But Paul says, I'm depressed, 
and I'm joyful because of the comfort that God has brought me. And I think that if we will take seriously the things that Paul says in this passage, and let me just repeat them for you, that we find comfort in knowing that God comforts, that we find comfort in the life of Jesus, that we find comfort in looking at the word of God, and that we find comfort in deep relationships, and we will approach those sources of light in the midst of our depression, then we will find joy even though we may stay depressed. We will understand how good God is even though we don't feel it. We will understand how great heaven will be even if we want to get there super fast. I mean, we will understand how valuable and important we are even if we feel like the scum of the earth and there will be joy despite depression. Comfort comes through communication, really. Communication with Christ and Christians. And here's, I think, the challenge. For those of you who are depressed, here's what I ask. Here's what I think Paul shows us. And that's this. Instead of going into the tunnel and saying, this is too dark and I'll never find my way out. Instead of that, instead of saying, I am too depressed for this ever to be better or to ever be comforted and there's no way that my brain or my heart or my soul will ever feel any source of joy again and it's not going to happen instead of just sitting there and wallowing because that's what depression makes us want to do instead of that turn your eyes to the comfort that God brings say God okay I know I don't feel how I don't understand when I, I don't see you but I believe that you will comfort me and then turn your eyes to Jesus and say what does Jesus say about this situation What does Jesus declare that I need to hear? Just by being alive on earth, what does he show me? And then turn your eyes to the word of God and find passages. I don't know why we don't do this. We forget. Find passages that are comforting. Look for them. Go, what does God say about this situation? What does he say about having peace despite these circumstances? What does he say about loss? And what does he say about not feeling good enough? Find those verses. And then, and this is the hardest part, dive deeper into relationship with other Christians. And I, I, I just, I know, I know there's people in our church who struggle with depression and they're not in a connect group. I mean, we have designed connect groups just to deepen relationships. They're not Bible studies they, and people don't like that. They want, we have a Bible study coming up by the way, but people are like, well, they're not Bible studies. I don't like this. They're designed so that you can enter into deep enough relationships that when you're depressed, you have somebody to call so that they can bring you comfort that they have received from Jesus. You have to dive deeper into relationships. And here's the call for you who are not depressed right now. And somebody even said to me last week, I'm just not depressed that, that often. And that's me too. I'm just not depressed that often. So this series is terrible. They didn't say it that way. But what are we doing here? Can we get to Easter already? You know, I mean, I'm done with this. Uh, you're depressing me through this series. And uh, I wasn't depressed before you started, but now. And, and here's what I say to you. You have been comforted to comfort. And you are not doing your job if you're not comforting somebody else. And you may, in fact, be the reason that somebody is stuck in the darkness of depression. Because God may be calling you, sending you, asking you to be the comfort that somebody needs. Here's what I say to you. Join a connect group. Because people in our connect groups may need the relationship that you can offer them. It may not be about you. And this is the problem we have in church today. 
I think it's part of the reason that depression rates are increasing around our country. I think it's probably one of the reasons that, the, that there are so many depressed people in our churches, and that's, that's this, this, that people have, have come to the conclusion that church is all about what they can get out of it. And so you go, well, I don't really need a connect group. I have friends and family. Somebody may need you to be in a connect group. Somebody may need you to be in a connect group. Somebody may need your comfort because God has comforted you through something. I can tell you this, that there is hardly a situation in my life because I have poured myself into ministry for so many years. There's hardly a situation in my life, uh, a bad thing that I've been through that has not at some point come up when I'm comforting somebody else. And God, and this is, this is an interesting part of my life, has allowed me to just be touched just badly, a little uh, bad enough by just about everything that you can imagine. Uh, that I can walk up to people who face just about anything and offer some level of comfort because Jesus has comforted me through those things, even if it was to a lesser degree. Here's the other thing. Actively seek to be somebody's comfort. There's these cards right underneath you, just right below your seats in those little blue bins, and we call them uh, connection cards, in fact. Maybe we should call them comfort cards. And you should, you should be sending those. Somebody may need your comfort. If you hear about something bad, there's a prayer list like 10 miles long that gets emailed out every week. And you know that people are struggling in our church because they are willing to open up and say, hey, this person has cancer. Or hey, I'm dealing with this thing. Or hey, we need some help financially. Or hey, this is not a good situation in my life and I wish it was better. Or hey, these people that I know have this problem and it's difficult. And you can, you can bet on this. If somebody opens their mouth or sends an email to say this is difficult, difficult in my life, then it's something that's making them a little bit sad. How hard is it, really, to pick up a card and say, oh, let me say, hey, I noticed, I noticed that you're dealing with this, and by the way, I've been through it too, and I'm praying for you. How hard? You see, our society is just dictated that we try to do everything alone. And what this passage of scripture says is that if we truly want comfort in the midst of our depression, then we can't do it alone. We must turn our eyes to Christ and we must turn our eyes to the Bible and we must turn our eyes to other people. And if we are the other people who are supposed to bring comfort, then we better do our jobs because somebody breaking free of the bond, the darkness of depression might rely on you. So comfort because you have been comforted for that purpose. The assurance today is that God is offering us comfort. Whether you can see it, feel it, understand it, uh, sense it, whether you can find it or not, God is offering it up to us. And we must take comfort in that. Will you pray with me? Lord, I pray for those in front of me who are depressed. I pray for those who will listen online who are depressed. And I pray that they wouldn't give up on you, God. And maybe, Lord, the way you're choosing to comfort is just so dim that they can't even tell. But I pray that they would trust that you are comforting them, God. And I pray, Lord, that in the midst of their depression, they would not turn their backs on you, but instead they would turn towards you, Lord. And I specifically specifically pray that they would turn their eyes to you, Lord, and Ah, uh, For those who are, are hearing me right now who aren't Christians, Lord, I pray that they would become Christians because I don't think there's any good way out of depression unless they know you, Lord. Um, so 
So help them to turn their eyes to you. And, and God, for those who are Christians, who already love you, I pray that they would return to you and think about you and remember Easter, God, and what it represents, and not just on Easter, but every day of their lives, Lord. And then for those of us, God, who aren't currently depressed, but have been depressed, I pray that we would do our jobs, Lord, and we would bring comfort to people. God, I pray, and this is so countercultural, but I pray that we would not be a church full of individuals, but we would be a church. And God, that we would constantly be reaching out to one another to show love and care and kindness and grace and, and to comfort, God. I pray that we would be a church that lights up this world because of the comfort we are bringing to each other. And God, I pray when, when people wander into our doors, God, and they see the church that we are, that they would know that this is a place of comfort because we would have so much love and care for each other, God. God, I pray that we would believe your promises and that, Lord, those who are struggling right now would see your gracious comfort in their lives. They wouldn't go another day without knowing that you are doing something in them, even if life is horrible, Lord, and that you are doing something for them, even if life is horrible. I pray these things in your holy name. Amen.